This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Now, before we get to tonight's shows, I'd like to send a hello to a listener from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, James Kimberly, who wrote, I mean, he wrote a letter, sent it snail mail and everything right to the station. But anyway, he writes, Hi, Frank, I'm still a listener to Theater of the Mind, but I do have a few suggestions. Here are some of the shows I'd like to hear. Exploring Tomorrow, Hall of Fantasy, Fort Laramie, and Family Theater. Hey, thanks, James. I'll see what I can do to make some of those suggestions a reality. Thank you so much for writing. And for those of you who would like to send me a note via email, here's my address, f.proctor, that's P-R-O-C-T-O-R, at mzmedia.com. Okay, now to tonight's suggestions for entertainment. Hmm? Time for that masked man and his trusted Indian companion, Tonto, to ride to the rescue in another exciting adventure of the Old West. The Lone Ranger character is perhaps the world's best-known Western hero. The Lone Ranger radio program was exceedingly popular with both children and adults and aired from 1933 to 1956. In fact, surveys at the time indicated that over half the show's audience was comprised of adults. It was originally broadcast January 31, 1933 on WXYZ in Detroit, Michigan. The role of the Lone Ranger, played by five different actors... The primary writer was Fran Stryker, and the show was owned and created by station owner George Trendle. Each show began with Rossini's William Tell Overture, a frantically galloping horse, and the Lone Ranger's famous cry, Hi-ho, Silver! <laughs> I've always wanted to do that. Uh, the background story of the Lone Ranger is as follows. John Reed was one of six Texas Rangers chasing the dreaded outlaw Butch Cavendish and his gang, well, the rangers were ambushed. Only one badly wounded man survived. He was found by an Indian, Tonto, and nursed back to health. And when the ranger woke up, he asked Tonto what had happened. And Tonto explained that the other rangers had all been killed and that you only ranger left. You lone ranger. That's how the title came to be. All righty, let's check tonight's episode, Legacy for a Ghost. horse for the speed of light, the cloud of dust, and a hearty high silver, the Lone Ranger. Thank you. 
With his faithful Indian companion, Tonto, the masked rider of the plains led the fight for law and order in the early western United States. The stories of his strength and courage, his daring and resourcefulness have come down to us through the generations, and nowhere in the pages of history can one find a greater champion of justice. Return with us now to those thrilling days of yesteryear. From out of the past come the thundering hoofbeats of the great horse, Silver. The Lone Ranger rides again. Come on, Silver. There's trouble on the trail ahead. I'll Silver. Ordinarily, Cass Greenstreet, president of the state bank at Dawson, Nevada, didn't have lunch with Saul Conroy, his head teller. In fact, today was the first time in ten years that both men had left the bank at exactly 12 noon. Say, Cass, folks might think this is kind of funny, both of us going to lunch at the same time. Nobody will notice it, Conroy. Come on. We'll lead over to the hotel dining room. A few minutes later, the banker and his assistant were seated at a small table in the dining room of Dawson's only hotel. Then Cass Greenstreet consulted his watch. Well, Conroy, it's five minutes after 12. Nothing's happened. It'll happen all right. I'm not worried. I am. How can we be sure this hombre, whoever he is, will follow through and hold up the bank? Because I told him it would be easy. Who is he, anyway? Well, I don't know. Just a tramp I picked up in Pineville. How about Sheriff Tuttle? Did you get word to him? Yeah, I wrote him a note. I slipped it under the door of his office last night. Wrote him a note? Why, well, you... I mean, I printed it. He'll take the tip all right. Bet he's out in front of the bank right now. Well, I hope so. And he'll be primed to shoot. Because in the note, I said this bank rival was a killer. Then I signed it with a name that's a cinch to make him think it's the truth. How'd you sign it? <laughs> I gotta laugh every time I think about that note. Never mind laughing. <laughs> Just remember, there is a killing. You've got to get to the tramp before anybody else does. Sure, but you don't... That must be it. Hurry up. Get over there. Now, Cass, there's no need to... I said hurry. All right, I'm going. Everything depends on it. The Dawson Bank has been held up and robbed, and if the sheriff has killed the outlaw, you've got to examine the dead man before anyone else does. Now, get going. Oddly enough, the fears or hopes of Cass Greenstreet had been true. A masked outlaw had tried to hold up the bank just a few minutes after 12 o'clock. And it had been a simple affair because there'd been no one there except an old bookkeeper. But when the outlaw had emerged from the bank with a sack of gold under his arm, he'd walked into the point-blank fire of Sheriff Tuttle's six guns. He was killed instantly. That afternoon, just at sundown, a small crowd gathered on Boot Hill to witness the unhappy outlaw's burial. A rough pine box was lowered into the grave, then the local parson spoke a few words. The crowd departed quickly, and after a grave digger had filled the shallow trench and pushed a wooden marker into the earth, he too left the scene. No one noticed a rather quiet young man who remained behind to stare dubiously at the writing on the wooden headboard. That is, no one noticed him but two horsemen who had watched the entire scene from a grove of cottonwoods not far away. One of the men was masked and rode a powerful white stallion. His companion was an Indian. It was the Lone Ranger and Tonto. Hello. I wonder why one man stayed behind. Oh, me not know. Maybe he's a relative of the outlaw they had just buried. Oh. Still, I don't... Well, let's go over and talk to him. Ah. Come on, Silver. Get him up, Scout. 
Who's Count Hoffman? A masked man. Well, this country's full of surprises. Who are you? Easy, big fella. I don't want to intrude. Well, I guess Boot Hill's public property. You've got as much right here as I have. Was the man they just buried a relative of yours? That's what I've been standing here trying to figure out. Don't you know? Tell you the truth, I'm a little bit mixed up. The army that's planted under that headboard held up the Dawson Bank at noon today. Yes, I know. And he was shot and killed by the sheriff. Well, what connection does that have with you? Go over and look at the writing on that wooden slab at the head of the grave. All right. Hmm. Here lies Jack Potter, age 28. Shot and killed while attempting to rob the Dawson State Bank. May his evil soul at last find peace. Well, it just says that the outlaw was a man named Potter, age 28. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, that's what's got me mixed up. Well, what do you mean? Well, that's my name. You see, I'm Jack Potter. A few minutes later, in the Lone Ranger's camp... Jack Potter told the masked man in Tonto a strange story. I'm from the southern part of the state. Up until a few days ago, I was punching cows in a spread down there. Then I got a letter from a banker here in Dawson. It said that my Uncle Jeb, who lived here, just died. I was his heir. Was that true? I guess so. I've never found out. Go on. It said to come up here right away and bring positive proof of my identity. Could you do that? Sure. I had my discharge papers from the army. So I got on a train and came up to Pineville. Pineville? Oh, I forgot to tell you. The letter also said that because there wasn't any railroad running through Dawson, I was to get off the train in Pineville, and somebody would meet me there. Did they? Yeah. When I got off the train in Pineville last night, two men were waiting for me. Are you Jack Potter? That's me. Well, welcome to Pineville. My name's Conroy. Mr. Greenstreet from the Dawson Bank sent me over to meet you. Well, it's mighty nice of Mr. Greenstreet. But I guess I could have found my way to Dawson, all right. Oh, sure, but I brought my rig. We'll drive over in the morning. Morning? Oh, it's a hard trip. You'd better rest here overnight. Oh, excuse me, Potter. This is, uh... This is Mr. Anderson. Glad to know you. Hey, I have a room reserved for you at the hotel. Guess we might as well go on over there. Sure, anything you say. Oh, by the way, Potter... I hope you brought your legal identification with you. Mr. Greenstreet will want to see it as soon as you get to Dawson. Oh, sure. I've got my army discharge papers right here in my pocket. Oh, then let's go to the hotel. Come on, Anderson. Come on. Did you spend the night in Pineville? Most of it. But I didn't do much sleeping. What do you mean? Well, the three of us, Conroy, Anderson, and I, had supper. Then we went upstairs to our rooms... Well, uh, here's your room, Potter. Anderson and I have to go up another flight. Couldn't get all three rooms on the same floor. <laughs> oh, that's all right, Mr. Conroy. I'm not used to hotels, but I'll make out all right. Oh, of course you will. And we'll call you first thing in the morning. Good night, Potter. Good night. Good night, Mr. Anderson. Good night. And what happened the next morning? Things began to happen before morning. You see, I'd been sleeping out in the open for years. That hotel bed felt strange. I, I couldn't get comfortable. I must have turned and twisted for an hour or more. But I couldn't go to sleep. Well, finally, I decided I'd try putting my head at the bottom of the bed instead of the top. Well, that's when it happened. What happened? I heard a key put in my door. And it started to turn, real soft-like. I was wide awake, 
But I figured the best thing to do was play possum. So I waited until the lock clicked and the door opened just a crack. And somebody whispered my name. Putty. Jack Putty. When I didn't answer, the door opened real fast and somebody came in the room. But it was so dark I, I couldn't see. Whoever this critter was, I could hear him breathe as he came over to the bed. I, I didn't know what to do. My guns were lying on a chair five feet away. Then as he came closer, I saw he had a shooting iron in his hand. And he was aiming it at the pillow at the head of the bed. I guess in the dark, the pillow must have looked like my head. Because the next thing he did was squeeze the trigger. I raised up and tried to grab him. The... But he had the advantage of standing up, and I was lying flat on my back. He swung on me with the butt end of his gun. <laughs> and that's the last thing I knew. When did you regain consciousness? This morning. I've still got a big lump on my head, but otherwise I'm all right. Now, who was this man who tried to kill you, you know? I've got a hunch it was Anderson. Well, uh, what makes you think so? Because when I was able to move around this morning, both Anderson and Conroy were gone. So I rented a horse and rode over here to Dawson. Have you seen either of those men since you arrived? No. Because when I got in town, they were having that planting ceremony over on Poot Hill. And whoever's in that grave must have had my army papers on him. Well, why didn't you go directly to the bank and talk to Green Street or Conroy? I thought of that. Then I figured I'd have a hard time proving who I am. Especially when I just finished burying one hombre named Potter. You should have gone to the sheriff and told him about it. I was going to do that, too. But when the funeral was going on, I heard somebody say that Sheriff Tuttle knew this critter was a professional bank robber because he got a note from the Lone Ranger saying... What? Say... What did you say? I said this Lone Ranger must have tipped off the sheriff did because... you hear that, Tuttle? Hmm. Uh, what's wrong? Everything. Seems, Potter, that you're not the only one who's involved in this attempt to bury a man who isn't dead. I don't understand. Neither do I. But I intend to find out. Here, Silver. I think I'll go to Dawson and look up this Conroy critter. If he thinks Hello, he can... Potter. Wait here with Tonto. I'll be right back. Easy, big fella. But what'll I do about this? Don't worry. You won't be alone. We'll both do something about it. Hello, Silver. Understand you received a note from me. I sure did. I'm much obliged for the tip-off. Caught that bank robbing varmint red-handed. Yes, I heard about it. Nailed him right between the eyes. And we planned him on Boot Hill about an hour ago. May I see that note, Sheriff? You you mean... Why, well, sure, sure. Here it is. Hmm. Dear Sheriff, a bushwhacker that works alone is aiming to stick up the Dawson Bank at noon today. I thought you'd like to know about it. Signed, the Lone Ranger. Mighty nice of you to give me the tip. How'd you know? I didn't. I didn't write this note, Sheriff. You didn't? Then how could you know Tell that... Tell me, who was this outlaw? Did you identify him? Young buckaroo named Potter. Jack Potter. Sheriff, I don't know who it was who robbed the bank today. But I do know the man buried up on Boot Hill isn't Jack Potter. Isn't Jack? And I'm sure that Conroy and Green Street can tell you who it is. You mean them two hombres are pulling the shenanigans? They've already pulled it. Yeah? Well, I never did like them critters. I'll rustle them out of bed right now. No, I... Sheriff. I'm involved in this, too. And we need proof before we can accuse anyone of a crime. You say you didn't write that note. That's good enough for me. I'll get Conroy and Green Street. No. It's always best to let crooks convict themselves. What do you mean? Wait a couple of days. I'll keep in touch with you. 
In the meantime, I'll ask a ghost to help us. A ghost? Yes, Silver. Ready, big fella. Sometimes fear is more powerful than lead, Sheriff. Come on, Silver. Well, howdy. If I didn't know he was the Lone Ranger, I'd swear that man was local. The curtain falls on the first act of our Lone Ranger story. Before the next exciting scenes, please permit us to pause for just a few moments. story. After the masked man left Sheriff Tuttle's office, he returned to the camp where Tonto and Jack Potter were waiting for him. There he proposed a plan that would take several days to complete. Now this is what I want you to do. Write a letter to Green Street. Pretend that you've just received his letter. Tell him you'll arrive in Pineville the following day. What good will that do? I'll explain it later. Write the letter now. Sure I will. Where can I get paper and a pencil? Over in my saddlebag. Thanks. Uh, Tonto. Uh-huh. As soon as he finishes writing that letter, I want you to take it and ride south. Uh-huh. And where me go? To the town nearest the ranch where Potter used to work. Mail it at the post office there. Ah, me do it. Then ride back to Pineville. I'll meet you by the river just east of town. Ah. Here. It's sort of scribbled, but I guess you'll be able to read it. That's all right. Here, Tano. Ah. Now ride fast. I want that letter to arrive back here in Dawson by tomorrow afternoon. Easy, scout. <clears throat> me take letter. Come back to Pineville. That's right. And hurry, Tano. Ah. Get him up, scout. I guess I don't exactly understand what you're doing. It's simple. And that's the main reason why it should work. You and I'll go to Pineville. And then, day after tomorrow, you'll pretend you've just gone off the train. But why? Because tomorrow afternoon, Mr. Greenstreet will receive a letter he'll hardly believe. Letter for you, Cass. Who's it from? I don't know. It was the only mail on the afternoon stage. Let me see it. This is impossible. What is it? This is from that kid down south. Jack Potter. Potter? Listen. He says, Dear Mr. Greenstreet, I am sorry to hear about Uncle Jeb's death. Regarding the inheritance and complying with your instructions, I'll arrive in Pineville tomorrow afternoon. Sincerely yours, Jack Potter. Oh, I I know what it is. That letter's been delayed some way. It should have been here two days ago. But it doesn't make any difference now because I'm... Conroy, look at the date at the top of the page. Date? Sure. Dated yesterday morning. It can't be. It's a mistake. I thought you met this kid in Pineville yesterday afternoon. I did, Cass. Really, I did. I thought you hired a tramp to put a bullet through his head. The same tramp that was killed yesterday. I did. I mean, he did. I know he killed Potter because he brought me the army discharge papers that night in the hotel. And besides that, I heard the shot. Then how do you explain this letter? It's a mistake. Potter must have written it before he left and put the wrong date on it. Maybe you're right. Just to make sure, you'd better go over to Pineville tomorrow and meet that train from the south. Yes, it isn't true. It can't be true. Listen, I don't know what happened in Pineville, but I do know what'll happen to you and me if that Potter boy is still alive. Go over there, meet that train, and if he's on it, don't hire any tramps. Do the job yourself this time. You, you mean... You know what I mean. All right. I'll do it. <laughs> Oh, 
Hey, uh, stranger, can you tell me how to get to Dawson? <laughs> what? Why, sure. I... Oh, I'm a stranger in this neck of the woods, and I well, thought... What's your name? Potter. Jack Potter. I'm on my way to Dawson. I guess I'll have to catch a stage over there, but I don't know where to find it. Uh, have you... Have you ever been here in Pineville before? First time I ever saw the place. Say, stranger, what's wrong with you? Oh, oh, oh nothing. Nothing at all. You, you know, it's... It's rather a coincidence you coming up and speaking to me like you did. That's so? Yeah, you see, I... I came over from Dawson to meet a man named Jack Potter, and I, I guess you're him. Well, this is lucky. Uh, what's your name? I'm Sal Conroy. Mr. Greenstreet from the bank sent me over to meet you. Well, it's mighty nice of Mr. Greenstreet. He sent word about Uncle Jeb dying, so I came right up. I guess he must have got my letter, too. Yes, he got it. Well, where do we catch the stage for Dawson? Well, there isn't any stage until tomorrow morning. We'll, we'll have to spend the night here in Pineville. Oh, that's so? Well, I guess I can use the rest. Oh, sure, sure you can. I've got a room all reserved for you at the hotel. Well, it's mighty decent of you, Mr. Conroy. But you shouldn't have gone to all that trouble. Oh, no, no trouble at all. Glad to do it. You see, Mr. Greenstreet told me to be sure and take care of you. So I'm just following instructions. Oh, here, here. Oh. Let me carry your suitcase. Thanks, Mr. Conroy. Come on, we'll go to the hotel now. Conroy and Jack Potter are eating supper in the hotel dining room. Uh, and Conroy isn't wearing his gun belt. Must be in his room. There's a store building right by the side of the hotel. You can climb up there and get into Conroy's room through the window. Uh, why Tonto do this? Find his gun. Take out the bullets and fill it with these blanks. Here. Uh, Tonto, go. Well, here's your room, Potter. My bunk is one flight up. Couldn't get both rooms on the same floor. <laughs> well, that's all right, Mr. Conroy. I'll make out all right. Feel right at home. What? What's that? No, there's something familiar about this place. What? What do you mean? Almost like I'd been here before. But... No, I must be crazy. Either you are or I am. What did you say? Oh, nothing, nothing. Good night, Potter. Good night, Mr. Conroy. I'll see you in the morning. Yeah. I'll see you in the morning. Now, the only thing to do is wait. Pretend to be asleep. I sure hope that masked man or the Indian reached Conroy's guns before he did. You might be a ghost, but this will settle it. Oh. 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 Well, Conroy, what happened? 
I met the train case yesterday afternoon. Well? And this kid, Jack Potter, was on it. He was. And who was the other critter? The one the tramp drilled, or said he did. I don't know. Those army discharge papers the tramp gave to you. We planted them after he was killed. They belonged to Potter. What happened to the kid you met yesterday? I took him to the hotel in Pineville. Then I plugged him just like you told me to. Are you sure? I'm positive. Well, I hope so. There's been a mix-up someplace, but as long as they're both dead, I guess... Letter for you, Mr. Greenstreet. All right, give it to me. What? Chaos. Chaos, what is it? Listen to this. Dear Mr. Greenstreet, I'm sorry I missed the Pineville train yesterday. I hope I didn't inconvenience you in any way. I've decided not to ride the train anyway. I'll come to Dawson direct by stage from the south. I'll arrive about 10 p.m. and go right to the bank. Sincerely yours. Signed, Jack Potter. No. No, it can't be from Potter. He's dead. It's right there in black and white. I don't believe it. I killed him. And dead men can't write letters. Shut up. You've got to figure this out. It's a ghost case. That's what it is. Jack Potter's dead. He's lying up there on Boot Hill. I killed a ghost last night. And now the... This is another one. Be quiet. How can I think with you sniveling like an old woman? But Cass, I talked to him. I ate supper with him and I killed him. No. No, I didn't. Nobody can kill a ghost. That's why he's coming here tonight. Quiet. Oh, Cass. Only one thing to do. We've got to ride out and meet the stage tonight before it gets to town. Ride out and meet... No. No, I'm not going. I say we're both going. But this time I'll do the shooting. Cass, you can't kill a ghost. Somebody that's already dead. Stop yapping. A good solid slug from a 45 doesn't care what it hits. You and I'll meet that stage. We shouldn't do it, Cass. We shouldn't do it. Quit squawking. Get that mask over your face. Don't want the stage driver to recognize us. Shut up. Come to the stage. Hey, pull up. Pull up, Ralph. Shoot. Oh, man. Oh, boy. Keep your hands up. And they're up. A road agent, huh? Well, boys, this is one time you picked the wrong coach. I ain't carrying a lead quarter. We don't want any cash. All we want to do is talk to the passenger you've got inside. Passenger? <laughs> you draw another blank, boys. I haven't carried a passenger on this run for over two weeks. I don't believe it. Tell your passenger to get out. You tell them. If you can find them. <laughs> He's right. There's no one inside the coach. Uh, satisfied? I... All right, get moving. Anything to oblige. Get it. I can't understand it. I can. We're dealing with a ghost, a man who's dead on Boot Hill, but his ghost is plaguing us because we're stealing the money that's rightfully his. Shut up. Get on your horse. What are you going to do, Cass? Ride back to the bank. Come on. Get up, man. Get up. <laughs> As soon as they get inside, you go up and knock on the door. Shall I carry the suitcase? Of course. You just got off the stage. It doesn't make sense. None of it. Yes, I, I told you what we're up against. If you mention ghosts again, I'll... Excuse at the door. No, no. It All might right. be... I'll open it myself. Mr. Greenstreet? Who are you? Seems kind of funny that you don't ask me in. I've had a long trip. I just came in on the 10 o'clock stage. 
you just... Yes. I thought you'd be expecting me. My name's Potter. Jack Potter. Yes! Yes, it's him! It's Potter! The man I killed! He's dead! Shut up! Hold I will not shut up! You're talking to a ghost! This is what we get for robbing the estate! I, uh, I came to see about the money that Uncle Jeb left to me. Oh, you did, eh? Well, I don't believe in ghosts, so get your hands up, both of them. Why, uh... Drop that suitcase and get them up. That's better. Now, listen to me. I don't know what your game is, but you're not going to outsmart me. I'm not trying to outsmart anybody. Oh, yes, you are. But I'm going to plug you so it doesn't make any difference how much you know. Sure, I took the money from your uncle's estate. I've got every bit of it. And now I'm going to... You do nothing, Green Street. Why, you... Come on in, Sheriff. Well, well. Nice little sociable party. You heard Green Street's and Conroy's confession, didn't you, Sheriff? Heard every word. Enough to send them both to the penitentiary for life. He's a ghost. He's a ghost. I'll leave them in your hands, Toto. Uh, Where are the horses? Silver Scout, outside. Good. Adios, Jack Potter, and good luck. Oh, wait, wait. I don't even know who you are. A lot of folks have said the same thing, Jack. But he didn't give me a chance to thank him for everything he did. He never waits for thanks, son. That's the Lone Ranger. just heard is a copyrighted feature of the Lone Ranger Incorporated. Stay tuned for Phil Harris and Alice Fay next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for a few laughs with Phil Harris and Alice Fay and the episode where the kids see Daddy at work. The Fitch Bandwagon with Alice Fay and Phil Harris. The 
F.W. Fitch Company, makers of Fitch Shampoo, presents The Fitch Bandwagon, written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet, with Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Ollie O'Toole, Janine Roos, Anne Whitfield, Betty Lou Gerson, Walter Scharf and his music, and starring Alice Faye and Phil Harris. Phil has decided that it's about time the children saw their daddy at work. And so he and Alice are taking them to watch the band rehearsal. And now as we look in, we find the Harris family entering NBC. You girls are going to be proud of your daddy when you see him standing there leading his orchestra. Does daddy have a good orchestra, Mommy? Well... I'll answer that, Gertrude. (laughs) Kids... Your daddy's got a terrific outfit. Twenty-six different kinds of instruments, and I stand in front and lead them all. Do you use a podium, Daddy? Naturally. I got the best podium player in the business. (laughs) Hey, come on, kids. We're rehearsing in this studio right here. Phil, Phil, do you think it's wise to take the children into your band rehearsal? Well, why not? I want them to see all the boys in the band. Yes, but do you think they're old enough to stand the shock? (laughs) All right, all right. The boys in my band are all right. They're perfect gentlemen, and they have a lot of respect for me. They do just as I tell them to do. Don't worry about a thing. Come on, everybody, let's go in. Hey, fellas! Fellas, I want you to meet... Keep holding it. (laughs) Keep your heads down and don't press. (laughs) Hey, fellas. All right, let's have it quiet in there. Look. Hey, I got a surprise for you guys. I want you to meet my daughters. (laughs) Hey, kind of cute, ain't they? Yeah, and one on the left is beautiful. You mind if I kiss the little darling girl? No, no, go ahead, Artie. Okay. Hook her up, honey, and Uncle Artie will slip you a little kiss. Artie, that one's my wife. <laughs> well, how was I supposed to know she was your wife? Well, why didn't you ask? What? Well, a good thing? Get back. Go back there and sit down. All right, everybody, now quiet. Let's get ready to play. Now, girls, uh, is there anything in particular you'd like to hear? We can... We can play any song at all. You see, we got a big reservoir. <laughs> uh, what do you? What would you like us to play, Phyllis? Can they play Farmer in the Dell? <laughs> <laughs> oh, baby, listen to me. These men are accomplished musicians. Pick out something hard. How about Rockman and Os Prelude in C sharp minor? <laughs> You heard her, fellas. Farmer's in the Dell. But, Daddy, I'd rather hear Rachmaninoff's prelude in C-sharp minor. All right, all right. All right, guys. We'll play that. Hey, what? What she said. Now, come on. Let's play it. I'll kick it off. One, two... That's what I like about Rachmaninoff's prelude in C-sharp minor. Yeah. 
you like that? It was awfully loud. Why do they have to blow so hard, Phil? It was not loud, and they don't blow hard. How did you like it, kids? Did you think that... Hey, Alice, where are the children? The last time I saw them, they were three feet off the ground and flying north. (laughs) Well, maybe it was a little loud. All right, fellas, let's try it once more, and this time, no harp. (laughs) Hey, Frankie, Frankie, I didn't hear your guitar, and I want to hear... Wait a minute. Where's Frankie? He ain't here yet. (laughs) What do you mean, he ain't here yet? He ain't never here. He hasn't been here for two weeks at rehearsal. What's the matter with that guy? What's happened to him? He's in love. <laughs> Remley's in love? With what? He's in love. He's going with some society girl named Cynthia Cavendish. She goes in for the arts and all that kind of stuff. The arts? What does Remley know about the arts? He'd be lost with a girl like that. He wouldn't even know what to quiet, do with quiet, it. Quiet, quiet, Phil. Frankie just came in. Oh, oh, lover boy finally arrived, huh? <laughs> um, good afternoon, Don Juan. Felicitations, maestro. Never mind that kind of stuff. Now listen, Remley, you're late, late for rehearsal. You've been late for rehearsal, and I'm getting sick and tired of... I... Wait a minute. <laughs> What's that you got on your head? A beret? <laughs> well, ooh-la-la and rudelapets. <laughs> Hold still and I'll kiss you on both cheeks, Pierre. Frankie, why are you wearing a beret? All us artists wear them. My girl, Cynthia Cavendish, says it's a badge of our trade. If I didn't wear my beret, I'd feel as nude as a floor walker without a carnation. Oh, wait a minute. What's the matter with you? So now you're an artist, huh? Every day it's something else. Now you're an artist. You're going to paint pictures, too, I suppose. Paint? Please. (laughs) Cynthia says that painting is barbaric expressionism. Cynthia says that I have a genius far beyond painting. Cynthia says that I am a sculptor. Cynthia talks a lot, doesn't she? (laughs) Frankie, listen to me. Get the beret out of your eyes and listen to me. I want to talk to you. What are you getting yourself into here? What kind of a dame is this, Cynthia? Hold on, maestro. Miss Cavendish is a person of breeding and culture who's possessed of a sensitive, artistic soul, and I'll have you know she is not a dame. (laughs) She happens to be a high-class tomato. And she's got you believing that you're a sculptor now, huh? Well, I'll tell you one thing, Remley. You've got to show me. Sit down and sculpt me something. Go ahead, sculpt. I can't do it just like that. The feeling has to come to me first. The mood has to come from within me. From deep down inside. Well, open your mouth and I'll look in and see if it's ready. Don't be facetious. I can't sculpt until I'm in the mood, and that takes... Wait! Hand me my mallet and chisel quick. I feel the mood coming over me. I... Too late. It's gone. It didn't hang around very long, did it? Well, if you'll excuse me, fellas, I have to drop the children off at Mother's and do some shopping. Goodbye, Phil. So long, honey. I'll see you at the house. Oh. Goodbye, kids. Oh. Bye, Daddy. Yeah. Oh, thanks a lot. <laughs> sculptor. Pierre the Sculptor. Remley, I don't know. You're a sculptor, huh? Oh, yeah. 
You know something? I'd give anything in the world to see you at work. Okay. <laughs> I just happen to be starting a bit of statuary this afternoon. I'll bring Cynthia over to your place and you can watch me. Cynthia's going to model for me. Oh, what a shit. You will? Sure. Well, it's a deal. Let me tell you something. I can't wait to see you with a hammer and a chisel. You'll see. This I've got to see. Now, call your girl and tell her to meet her, uh, tell her to be over at my place. Huh? Okay. That's a deal. All right. But look, before we leave, I've got to run over a tune. All right, gentlemen. The maestro is in the mood. <laughs> You're ever down in Texas, look me up. Look me up. You're ever down in Texas, look me up. Where the men are men and love it, and the gals are so glad of it. So if you're ever down in Texas, look me up. Everybody's gonna holler, howdy do, howdy do. Everybody there'll be saying, how are you? We raise corn for hot tamales and grow dollies for the follies. So if you're ever down in Texas, look me up. Ask anyone for Rusty, everybody knows for me. They'll tell you where I'm riding at bar A, B, C, or D. So if you're ever down in Texas, look me up, look me up. We've got everything in Texas looking up. With the moonlight on the prairie and a gal that ain't contrary, there's a lot of fun in Texas, look me up. Ask anyone for Phil Z, they'll tell you where I'm at. You'll find me down in Galveston with a boxback coat and a Stetson hat. So if you're ever down in Texas, look me up, look me up. They've got everything in Texas looking up. Am I right or Amarillo, man? That state's a killer dilla. So if you're ever down in Texas, look me up. Bronco bust and take some practice or you wind up on a cactus. So if you're ever down in Texas, look me up. Where the gal that's good at figures and the cowboy's quick on triggers. So if you ever down in Texas, look me up. Every gal's a raven beauty. Hip tie, 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 Oh, I can't wait to get back down there and hear some of that talk. Goes like this. Sure glad you come by. Don't you all forget to come back now, you hear? <laughs> Bye now. Bye. I'm gonna build a Dolby Palace for my Alice down in Dallas. So if you're ever down in Texas, look me up. All right, Remley, I'm letting you use my house to do this sculpting. Is when is this uh, this Cynthia? Oh yeah, when is uh, when is Cynthia going to get here? She'll be here soon. Where'd you meet her, Curly? She's real class and she's crazy about me. Why? <laughs> what can a dame possibly see in you, Remley? She must be after what little dough you have. I resent that. She don't need my dough. She told me she's from a very wealthy family, but she gave it all up to be an artist. Never asked for anything. Poor kid lives in a cold garret. The only thing she ever asked me to buy her was a mink coat to keep her warm. <laughs> and you bought her a mink coat just to keep her warm? Not exactly. <laughs> I talked her into red flannel underwear. Frankie, I don't know. I, 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 I can't understand how you can go for a nardy dame like that. They don't think of anything but themselves. They have no hey, regard... Hey, must be her now. Come on, I can't wait to introduce you to her. 
Anyone? <laughs> Shall we have a go at it? Yeah, this sounds like a weekend at Noel Coward's. Come on in, Cynthia. I want you to meet my pal, Phil Harris. Curly, this is Miss Cavendish. How do you do, Miss Cavendish? I'm very happy to meet you. How do you know? <laughs> when you don't know anything about me and I don't know anything about you. We might dislike each other intensely and become enemies later. Why wait? <laughs> you two are going to learn to love each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's essential. I doubt it. I can't stand men with curly hair. They annoy me no end. Frankie, what's cooking with this chick? Did somebody slip barbed wire into her corset stage? <laughs> you just don't understand her, I don't Curly. Want to She's really very human. She's got a lot of warmth, especially for me. Watch this. <laughs> Cynthia, aren't you going to kiss me hello, dearest? Franklin, you know I detest kissing. I think it's very vulgar. Oh, this kid's as warm as a penguin's instep. <laughs> agree with Cynthia. Kissing is vulgar. Uh, do you mean that, Frankie? I do. And you feel the same way about it, Cynthia? I do. I now pronounce you man and wife. Rub noses and get lost. <laughs> now, take it easy, Curly. Cynthia, if you're going to model for me, let's get started. Go in the other room and put on your jungle outfit. Jungle outfit? What's she going to be, a witch doctor? <laughs> no. She's wearing a black bear skin. I'm going to make a statue of the Neanderthal man and his mate. She's going to be the mate and... Wait a minute. Cynthia, we forgot a male model. Oh, your friend here will do... Mr. Harris, slip into this leopard skin. Yeah. <laughs> leopard skin? Yes. Here it is. Look, lady, get that thing out of here. If you think I'm going to wear that gravy-stained loincloth, you're off your beat. I will. I go. Let's not argue. Are you not you're retarding my artistic career. <laughs> now put the leopard skin on. Are you kidding, Clyde? I wouldn't wear that thing if I was a leopard. I'm not going to wear it either, and that's fine. What's the matter? Are you ashamed of your physique? Am I what? Ashamed of my physique? Lady, you're looking at the stand-in for gorgeous George. <laughs> Jeffries, spray this peasant. <laughs> Shame to my physique. Give me that dead skin there. I'll put it on. I'll show you. That a boy, Curly. I'll help you. <laughs> hey, uh, Franklin. 
I told you I'm going to look great in this thing, didn't I? Ah, get a load of that physique. Ah, get a load of that body. Ha, <laughs> ha. Ain't that a thing of beauty? Yeah. Hundred and eighty pounds of solid flab. Flab? What are you talking about, flab? I'm all muscle from the tip of my toe to the top of my head. And I might add that I'm irresistible in this leopard skin, and it's a good thing we're not close to the zoo or I'd have every female leopard purring like a kitten. (laughs) Okay, Spot, come on. (laughs) Let's get back in the other room so I can get started. Oh, wait, I better knock first and see if Cynthia's ready. We can't go in until she's got her bear skin on. Now, Curly... When you pose with Cynthia, I want you to... Okay, okay, Frankie, I'll get that. I'll get it. You go get the bear ready. Okay. <laughs> hey. Them cavemen had the right idea about wearing these leopard skins. Gee whiz, they're nice and soft and... Gee, they're comfortable to get around them. Oh! Oh, hiya, Julius. Well, if it ain't Jungle Jim. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cut your motor, kid. Get back into neutral. Just bring the groceries in. That's all you have. Okay. When do I tie up my elephant, Sahib? <laughs> what the heck happened to you, Mr. Hammer? Nothing happened to me. Nothing happened to me. I'm just wearing a leopard skin. <laughs> Don't get gay, nature boy. (laughs) Mr. Remley just happens that uh, Mr. Remley has taken up sculpturing and uh, he's... uh, Well, I'm posing for him. This ought to set art back about 50 years. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Remley don't know nothing about sculpting. Mr. Remley knows something about sculpting, too. (laughs) Now, if you're a skeptic, come on in the room and I'll let you watch him work. This I gotta see. Hey, Frankie. Huh? You mind if Julius watches your chisel? No. <laughs> Come on in, kid. Thanks, Mr. Remley. I just want to sit. Hey, Mr. Remley, what's that bear sitting in the corner for? What bear? Oh, that's my fiance. I'm going to marry her. <laughs> Couldn't get a girl, huh? <laughs> She is a girl. Kind of hairy, ain't she? She's wearing a bearskin outfit. Scared me for a minute. You want to watch? Clam up. Now, Curly, I'll tell you how to pose for this. I want to get a pure primitive effect. You pick Cynthia up and hold her in your arms. You're a caveman and you're saving her from a dinosaur. It'd make more sense if you had the dinosaur saving her from Mr. Harry. <laughs> Quiet, kid. You're in on a rain check already, you know. All right, Frankie. I got Cynthia up here in my arms. Well, ain't that a touching little tableau? <laughs> Wait till I tell Miss Fee that you held a strange bear in your arms. Quiet, or I'll sick Carmichael on you. Come on, Frankie, will you? Let's get started. Wait. I need music to get me in the mood. Oh, fine, fine. Now he needs music to get him in the mood. Do you want me to sing to you? That ain't the mood I want to get into. (laughs) Julius, 
Turn that phonograph on and back here. Okay. I'll put on one of my stage records. It'll be the only bright spot in an otherwise dull afternoon. Love, love, hooray for love. Who is ever too blasé for love? Make this a night for love. If we have to fight, let's fight for love. Some sigh and cry for love. Oh, but in Paris, they die for love. Some ways to wait for love. Just the same hooray for love. It's the wonder of the world. It's a rocket to the moon. It gets you high. It gets you low. But once you get that glow. Some trust to fate for love Others have to take off weight for love Some go berserk for love Loafers even go to work for love Sad songs are sought for love People have their noses bobbed for love Some say we pay and pay for love Just the same hooray, hooray How are you doing, Frank? Yes, how much longer do I have to hold Cynthia in my arms? I'm getting tired. Curly, stop sagging. Expression on your face. Remember, you're saving a girl from a dinosaur. Well, hurry up, will you? This leopard skin is starting to itch. Oh, I feel I'm home and I. <laughs> well, what's going on here? Oh, oh, it's you, Alice. Yes, Tarzan. <laughs> it's me, your mate. What is that woman doing in your arms? Oh, her? Oh, I'm saving her from a dinosaur. Oh. <laughs> oh, good, good. The house has been overrun with them lately. What's the meaning of this? Mr. Harris, will you please tell your housekeeper to run along? <laughs> housekeeper? Cynthia, darling, this is not the housekeeper. This is Alice, Mr. Harris's wife. Oh. How do you do? <laughs> Franklin, I can't stand all these distractions. I'm going to lie on the sofa down there until some of you people leave the room. Oh, yes, lie down over there and rest, dearest. Dearest? Frankie, don't tell me that charming creature is the girl you're in love with. Yeah, what's wrong with her? Frankie, you're too nice a guy to be taken in by a girl like that. Alice is right, Frankie. She ain't for you. I think she's a phony. How dare you talk that way about Cynthia? She's a high-class society girl of very good breeding. Oh, really? Well, how did you meet her, Frankie? Under very respectable circumstances. I was driving down Wilshire Boulevard. She was standing on the corner. I blew my horn. The next thing I knew, she was in my car. It was love at first honk. I might have known that's how you met her. Bill, did you hear that? Frankie picked her up. No. <laughs> Happens to 
Betsy. <laughs> How disgusting. I heard that and I resented. You did not pick me up, Franklin, and you know it. I didn't, huh? Honk, honk, go my way, babe. Thank you, sir. I'd be glad to take a lift. I'm just going <laughs> All he said was honk, honk. <laughs> An aggressive duck could pick this kid up. <laughs> Cynthia, that can't be true. You told me I was the only man in your life. You said I was the only man you never let kiss you. You even said you'd never accept expensive gifts from anyone else but me. (laughs) Curly's right. I see it all now. It was all a plan. You were just after my money. What was she planning to do, starve to death? (laughs) You know you ain't got a dime. He hasn't. Lady, that's my shirt he's wearing. Oh, Franklin, how could you? You told me you were independently wealthy, that you had stocks and bonds and... Oh, never mind, I'm leaving. Goodbye, Franklin, and thanks for everything. Hey, Frank. Hmm? What's she thanking you for? If you gave her any expensive gifts, you better get them back now. Don't be a sucker. You're get right, back. Charlie. No, no one, one can back. take advantage of me and get away with it. Yeah. Cynthia, before you go, there's something I have to say to you. What do you want? I'll thank you to return my red flannel underwear. <laughs> This is Phil Harris again. Folks, today there are 30 million starving children in Europe. And you can help these kids by sending a food package or cash to care in New York City. You can designate where you want your contribution sent or leave it up to care. Remember, the address is care, New York City. Good night, everybody. Girls, for softer, shinier hair, use Fitch's new cream shampoo. It's made with purified lanolin and the finest olive oil. Lanolin to soften, olive oil for sparkling highlights. Try Fitch cream shampoo. Bill Foreman speaking. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Harry Lime, followed by Our Miss Brooks. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.